This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone, on this uh, mozzie old day. I couldn't help but notice yesterday, Claudette, that uh, just outside of St. John's, it was kind of similar today here uh, with the fog and the drizzle mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And literally, like at Patty's Pond, the skies cleared and the sun was shining and it was a beautiful fall day everywhere else. So true. <laughs> so true. At least that's what I experienced. I did experience I was out of town on the weekend and a little bit of a rainbow in the morning, which was beautiful to see. I loved seeing something like that in the morning. I caught that rainbow myself. Oh, you did. It was absolutely lovely. Yes. Um, unfortunately, uh, it was a very, very... Oh, how could you even describe it? What are the words to find? Um, disheartening. Shocking. Uh, shocking. I mean, numbing. Um, I, I don't know. There are no words to describe it. But the uh, events that have taken place globally over the weekend in Israel and in uh, neighboring Gaza, or uh, Gaza being part of Israel, of course, Uh, Family and friends confirming two Canadians were among those killed when Hamas militants attacked people at a music festival in southern Israel on Saturday. The head of King David High School in Vancouver says 22-year-old former student Ben Mizrahi was gunned down by the militants. The father of a Montreal man, meanwhile, says Alexander Luke was killed at the same festival while trying to save the people around him. The French Foreign Ministry reports eight of its citizens confirmed dead, 20 unaccounted for. Israel reporting more than 1,000 people have died since Hamas attack on Israel on Saturday, while officials in Gaza are reporting 830 deaths as a result of uh, Israel's retaliation there. Well, a U.S. Navy aircraft carrier strike group has arrived in the far eastern Mediterranean, a development that Turkey's president said could lead to massacres in Gaza. The president of Turkey wants to know what the aircraft carrier is doing there. He's repeating his offer to act as a mediator between Israel and Hamas to try to end the war and plans to speak with Russia's president and the U.S. Secretary General later today. A Lebanese security official says six rockets were fired from southern Lebanon into northern Israel this evening. It's not clear who launched them. The U.N. peacekeeping force in south Lebanon confirmed the rocket fire and is urging everyone to exercise restraint at what it it describes as a critical time. Yesterday, three Hezbollah fighters and an Israeli army officer were killed along the border. And, um, of course, the aggressions uh, continue. Um, Very disheartening to see uh, U.S. President Joe Biden addressing the Americans uh, and the U.S. nation as we speak. We'll have more on that throughout the day and into tomorrow. Well, a little closer to home, representatives of the Innu Nation called a news conference in Ottawa this afternoon to make their concerns about the Nunatuavut Community Council, or NCC, absolutely clear. Members, including Innu Nation Grand Chief Simon Pokwe, accuse NCC of being a settler group who are trying to gain access to Innu land 
and funding intended to assist Indigenous students in what they call a form of recolonization. Last week, the provincial government started the process of delivering apologies to residential school survivors in Cartwright, Labrador, to NCC members, a move that the Nunatsiavut government called insulting. They wanted, they were surprised to see that happen with NCC first, as opposed to uh, the Nunatsiavut government or the Innu Nation. Well, the Innu Nation is in a lengthy land claims negotiation with the federal government to establish, sta- uh, sorry, establish self-governance a process that has taken four decades. Well, here's some of what Deputy Grand Chief Chris Rich had to say to reporters in Ottawa today. In both of our communities, we have a very young young population. Over 50% of them are under 20. And this pop, young population is growing, and in my community alone, 33% of all their births, our teen mothers. Inu Nation has been working very hard to finalize our our land claims, which have been going for 40 years. We are getting close to for being to be done and and we will become self-government. And what we need to do for self-government, we need need our people to be trained to work in self-government and we must address the needs of our people in reality where we are. This means opportunities for our youth to be to be trained, going to university recording in progress and college. What NCC is talking about taking those opportunities from us and making it hard for our youth to go to school and what NCC is doing by saying that we are indigenous is that we are snatching up scholarships, education grants, and seats and college universities that are meant for Indigenous people. Inu people and others who have been recognized. NCC knows how to work the system and take those opportunities that are should have Inu. NCC does not have recognized rights, but they tell a very good story. They tell this story in English, which is a language most people understand. We cannot do that. Inu is our first language. And there's recent examples of this in the news. Just last month, the sisters who pretended to be Inuit, they took advantage of those universities and didn't really check on people. And they took those opportunities that support away from other youth, taken away from other youth. And that is also what NCC is doing. NCC is harming us now, just as their ancestors did when they tried to push us off of our hunting grounds. This is our story and what settlers do. This is fraud. It's called identity fraud. For 50 years, my parents, my grandparents were treated not even secondhand, second-class citizens, but third-class citizens. Yet we know we are Inu, might finally be a place. NCC is very good at influencing governments and other Canadians and to believe in that we are Indigenous and that they are being hurt. This is us and my generation who is hurt. How can we not be reminded of the twins who claim to be Inuit and receive thousands of dollars in scholarships? Youth, meant for Indigenous youth, who's also opened a business and said that we're we're indigenously owned. 
Eno might have been kicked kept down by the government and settlers for years and years. My grandparents were affected. My parents were affected. I am affected. And, and people my generation, they're going to stop this from affecting our children. NCC is entitled to the same education that non-Indigenous groups living in remote areas are, but they are not entitled to funding meant to address the specific challenges of the real Indigenous people. We struggle to keep our youth from taking our, their lives and, and struggle with addictions. We struggle with providing homes for our young families and do not have enough resources for education as it is. The three reports from the Canadian Human Rights Commission talk about this. We are proud to speak our language. We, we, we are encouraged we are encouraging our children to speak our language and we are teaching it in schools. This is important to us. Yet this strength and beauty of our language is the barrier that you compare how easy and quick groups of NCC can apply and take advantage because they are English. The years of chronic underfunding the Inu education has led to significant gap, yet NCC has never had that gap. We cannot come to the table and say they ever had language barrier. They will lose their culture because they never had a culture to begin with. So there you go, Deputy Grand Chief Chris Rich, uh, not mincing any words in his assessment of NCC and what uh, the Inu Nation claims it is trying to do. If you have any thoughts on that, you're certainly welcome to give us a call. Well, coming up, Tom Osborne makes more health care announcements, this time affecting Grand Falls, Windsor and Deer Lake. This is News Talk on VOCM. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. And it's the little things, Claudette. We have a little feature here in the control room. Nobody on the other side of this microphone cares, but we have a little feature in the control room that I hadn't seen in a little while. It's yeah. back, and I was just so so excited I did a little dance. I'm happy for you because <laughs> it does make life easier, and I'm so happy. Anyway, no odds, but it's the like you say now, it's the little things. <laughs> Ooh, before we uh, get into your ah, next yes. news story, uh, we did get this note from a listener saying, just to let your, let your listeners know that CBS traffic is... And I'm quoting, horrible. If at all possible, try and avoid it and use the TCH. It's blocked from Legion Road out to Foxtrap in both directions. Yes, because they're doing that road work up there. Yeah, they started doing... that today. It's going to be like that the better part of this week, I yeah, think. Yeah, until October 19th, they're replacing a culvert on Peacekeeper's Way. So it's between Legion Road Ooh. and uh, Foxtrap Access Road. So they have that road portion closed off so you can imagine how backed off up it is now in uh, along route 60 yeah a bit of a nightmare for commuters uh, heading back and forth to cbs and beyond for sure so uh keep that in mind you may want to i don't know alter your route somewhat i don't know how much of a route yeah, altering you option do. there is there but uh uh, certainly, yeah. Uh, keep that in mind. Maybe leave a little earlier. That's good advice because people don't realize even not even in rush hour, you're going to be backed up. And please yeah. be patient. Please show patience. You're all in the same boat. 
I know that doesn't sit very well. They probably all just turn the radio off on me. But you're all in the same boat. Show patience, and uh, you'll get through it uh, soon enough. Listen to the radio show. Uh, Health Minister Tom Osborne says he takes some exception to comments made by a family physician who is closing her practice in Grand Falls, Windsor. If you recall, last week we spoke with uh, Dr. Sarah Clancy. She's a family physician in the town who expressed frustration with what she calls a lack of movement on the evolution of family medicine. At a news conference earlier today to discuss a family care team being established in Grand Falls, Windsor, Osborne and Killick Health Services CEO Dr. Chris Luscombe were asked about Clancy's comments by VOCM's Richard Duggan. You know, I, I do take some exception to that. Uh, we have, uh, and on, under uh, Dr. Luscombe's tenure as uh, the head of the NLMA, and he can speak to this as well, but we've, whether it's uh, the blended capitation model uh, or a number of other areas where we have worked with the NLMA and worked closely uh, on dealing with uh, family medicine and, and other uh, healthcare issues that physicians deal with. Um, yeah, I mean, you can look to any province in Canada and say that there are challenges. Um, you can't flick a switch and just make all those challenges disappear. It comes with working with the NLMA and an organization like the NLMA to resolve these issues. But I believe that what we've accomplished over the last uh, 12 or 14 months uh, in working with the NLMA um, has been very significant, uh, significant progress, and, and that work continues. Uh, we're currently in discussion with the NLMA now um, and, you know, the NLMA can't unilaterally make changes. Uh, the health authority or government cannot unilaterally make changes. Uh, these are issues that are worked on jointly between government and the NLMA uh, to resolve the issues. And we're currently in, in um, or started talks now on the next MOU. Uh, Chris, did you want to add to that? Again, to be clear, I'm not the spokesperson for the NLMA today. That would be Dr. Gerard Farrell. Um, but I guess from the perspective of Killick Health Services and what's going on in Grand Falls, Windsor, um, this, this community is, has really been hit hard by the human resource shortage. Being rural and remote and having all these remote emergency departments has uh, really put a strain on the local care providers. And I agree with the minister. There's, there's, this is being recognized and investment is occurring and this is part of some of the changes that are necessary. And I think we all wish it could happen faster but I do see this as progress. And in particular, with this initiative, what we're hearing from physicians on the ground is just overwhelming work burden. So now there's teams. There'll be a team in this community to start to support some of that care burden. So I think that things are, are, are being done and, and one hopes that, that this is going to be a key component of helping physicians to be able to be re-engaged back into family medicine practice in a much more supported way. Yeah, and if I could add to that, uh, I guess some breaking news today, um, but before I get to that, that's the teaser. Um, the 
we are working with the NLMA now on administrative burden. That's one of the discussions that we are talking about. We do recognize there are challenges. Um, as I said, there are challenges in every province, but you know, the NLMA have been a, a solid partner in working on and resolving the issues uh, that physicians in this province face. Um, and we work together to resolve those issues. Um, but the uh, for Grand Falls, Windsor, uh, we have added uh, Grand Falls, Windsor, and, and um, I, I'll make that announcement now. I think we were looking at making that announcement a little bit later uh, this week, but we've added that to one one of the as one of the areas that is hard to fill. As um, we are adding Deer Lake, so for physicians signing um, a contract. Uh, family physicians in uh, Grand Falls, Windsor, or in Deer Lake. Uh, the amount will be $200,000 incentive to those individuals, uh, and that is to address some of the human resource challenges that Grand Falls, Windsor is facing. Uh, the $200,000 that was in place in Labrador, we're increasing it to $300,000 in recognition that uh, you know the, they have uh, more significant challenges and, and, and different issues to deal with. So uh, happy to make uh, that announcement today and, and talk about that because Grand Falls, Windsor has faced uh, significant uh, human resource challenges. So this is meant to get at the heart of those challenges. So there you go, Health Minister Tom Osborne announcing more incentives for doctors who set up practice in Grand Falls, Windsor and Deer Lake, a incentive of $200,000 and uh, increasing the incentive for physicians setting up in Labrador from $200,000 to $300,000. Well, the Rotary Club of St. John's has named the winner of its annual Firefighter of the Year Award. Captain Patrick Power, who spent 42 years with St. John's Regional, accepted his award this afternoon. Uh, here is what he had to say. I'm deeply honored, honored and humbled to stand before you today as a recipient of the 2023 Rotary St. John's Firefighter of the Year Award. This recognition means the world to me. As you can see, I'm a bit nervous with it, but, hey, but it also represents the collective dedication and sacrifice of our entire firefighting family. And my family is firefighters worldwide. First and foremost, I want to express my heartfelt gratitude to my fellow firefighters. It is a privilege to serve alongside such brave and selfless individuals. Your unwavering support and commitment to our community inspired me, inspires me every day. I also want to thank my, our families who stand by our sides, provide loving and understanding as we answer the call of duty every day. 24-7. Diane, Shannon, and Brad, your sacrifice did not go unnoticed. <clears throat> and this award is a testament to your strength and resilience because I wasn't always there. I'm sorry I wasn't, but I had other things to do. <clears throat> I could not have gone to work each day without your support and encouragement. Down on the bottom, this says, turn the page. <laughs> to our leadership and mentors, there are many for me after 42 years. I can go on all day long with the officers, the captains, the lieutenants, the firefighters that helped me, got me out of jams, and helped me every way that you could possibly think. 
Thank you for guiding us, imparting your wisdom, and pushing us to the best firefighter we can be. Your leadership has shaped us like a formidable team, always ready to face the challenges that come our way. I would be remiss not to mention the support of our community. Between St. John's, uh, in my day, we took everything from uh, Cape St. Francis, which is down as far east as you can go, all the way out to the Bjorn Peninsula. We've been down in Biston Cove, in the, not Biston Cove, uh, Bain Harbor, down in Bjorn Peninsula, fighting a, wo uh, a, a woods fire. Your trust and appreciate means everything to us. To take our responsibility to protect and serve seriously, we will continue to do so with unwavering dedication. And lastly, I would like to de dedicate this award to all the firefighters who have come before me and those who will follow. When I look back, I have more, I have a lot more uh, brothers and sisters uh, alive than dead, but sometimes it looks like it's almost even. We stand on the shoulders of giants, and it is our duty to carry out that legacy with honor and pride. <clears throat> In closing, I accept this award on behalf of all firefighters who tirelessly work to keep our communities safe. I wanted to thank Firefighter Lieutenant Jerry Locke, who's not here today, by the way, due to a medical problem. He told me to give my regards that uh, he'd love to be here, but he's not. And my youngest son, Bradley, who I may kill after today, <laughs> for the nomination. It was a complete surprise. And, and you, you may think that things don't surprise firefighters, but this did surprise me. I had no idea. And to Danny and Alder, it is a privilege to serve the people of the city of St. John's and surrounding areas. It really is. Firefighting is not just a job for me. It's a long-term call. I have had an amazing 42 years with this department, and today's honor of firefighter years is a great way to cap off my career. I'd be remiss not to mention some of the, the people who really helped me on, on my way, from my first captain, Fred Quinton, to my, some of my last officers, Harry Blackmore and Jack Hickey, and many, many more. I'd say there's at least two or 300 that helped me in more ways than you can imagine. And one I want to thank most, <clears throat> when difficult times uh, cropped up and I wasn't sure I was coming home. Good, <clears throat> good, excuse me. A good friend of mine told me one time, he said, talk to God. He said, he'll help you. <clears throat> anyway, that good fire for this dead and gone, no, Don Jarvis. Right. From the bottom of my heart, I thank you very much for this award. Thank you. Oh, that was an emotional and uh, humbled uh, Captain Patrick Power retired 42 years with St. John's Regional Fire Department, uh, accepting the Firefighter of the Year Award at the Rotary Club of St. John's today. Very emotional. Well, coming up, NAEP launches a new awareness campaign. We're up to news time now with Noah Shepard. This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion. 
discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. Well, thanks a lot, Claudette and Noah. And once again, exercise caution if you're heading back into CBS or coming out of CBS for that matter. Uh, lots of lengthy delays and slowdowns in that area due to ongoing construction work that started today and is going to continue through to the end of next week. Is that yep, what you said? O- October 19th. And how's the commute, Claudette? Oh, it's slow. I'm just, uh, I was just looking at some comments uh, on social media. People are pretty sad that uh, they're waiting. I know, for instance, one of my uh, relatives had to go through that too. She had to, I think it was half hour on Foxtrap Access. Wow. So that was uh, pretty intense. So some people are deciding not to go through that route. They're they're going Trans-Canada Highway. But of course, you know, when the speed is increased on the TCH, you really got to pay attention to the moose, especially there as well. So Especially if, if it's foggy in that area, yeah. same as what it is in here yep. in town. And the days are closing in. They are, aren't they? Really, wow. really fast. Really fast. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much time we're losing in a day. I could look it up. But I'm I won't sure just the moment. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's probably in the in the range of one or two minutes a day. I'm guessing. I would suspect yeah. that. I know. I think it's around November fifth where we actually lose the uh, the hour. Oh as no! Well. But <laughs> you know, uh, here here we go, Claudette. What do you think? Yay or nay? Should we? change the time in the fall or should we keep it going keep it going so we don't have to screw around with our clocks there you go (laughs) and it does throw you off doesn't it it does throws off and there's i mean there are huge arguments uh against the time change for sure and certain provinces were i think abolished it as well i have to look into it but yeah people have are starting to realize that maybe this is an old school kind of way to deal with time but I guess if one does it, they all got to do it. Yeah. Because otherwise I, it just creates you're confusion, right. Like, right? Different areas depend on different people like California, for instance. Like you you just can't just say, oh, yeah, Newfoundland Labrador is just going to go back. You need to make sure that all your ducks in, are in order with other people that you do business with as well. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway. Uh, It's a debate for another day. (laughs) (laughs) NAEP has officially launched a new campaign raising awareness about its membership and the role they play in providing everyday public services on which Newfoundlanders and Labradorians rely. You've probably already heard some of them on VOCM and seen them on television as well. The There For You Always campaign focuses on what the union calls the broad range of classifications, roles, and responsibilities of their members in the healthcare sector. NAEP President Jerry Earle joins me now. Hello, Jerry Earl. Good day. How are you, Linda? Great. So, NAEP has launched a new campaign, There For You Always. What's it all about? This campaign shines a light on a number of NAEP members uh, that play a critical role in our healthcare system throughout Newfoundland Labrador. A lot of people understand what NAEP is, but a lot of people don't understand uh, just who makes up NAEP. In this case, as the campaign says, there, if you always, is a group of healthcare professionals uh, that go to work in very challenging environment across Newfoundland and Labrador every day to provide uh, vital service. And many of these, Linda, you don't always see on the front line, but behind the scenes, they're doing critical work necessary uh, to uh, diagnosing and treating people in Newfoundland Labrador every day. So explain some of these um, roles for us. Uh, What are are some of these uh, uh, people doing? 
often somebody going in and, and unfortunately Newfoundland or like cancer for chemotherapy uh, those drugs behind the scenes are mixed by pharmacy technicians and pharmacists and then delivered diagnostic Im- imaging unless you may be in a hospital and undergoing various procedures or lab and, ex- lab and x-ray staff but no matter, no matter health care challenges in our problems everything from cardiac disease to diabetes like dietitians for example social workers clinical psychologists speech language pathologists like all of these professions unless you deal with them uh, and beyond the scenes where you're going for a CAT scan where you have blood work done uh, and then you have those that you see at the bedside like the nurses who represent licensed practical nurses or personal care attendants again social workers uh, and then there's the, the obvious ones that uh, that we rely on emergency situations such as paramedics so the variety of healthcare workers and the essential work they do is not often understood but again there's some 12,000 that we represent in the province uh, and we just want to highlight those we would never be able to show every profession that we represent uh, but the campaign that we're running right now will show uh, actual members themselves providing vital services most would never realize that a midwife for example is represented by NAEP uh, and the invaluable service they do or when you go in for ultrasound that's a NAEP member that's doing that or so that's what it's trying to shine a light on uh, healthcare is a team it's made up of a number of valuable people uh, everything from ORs won't function unless the sterile supply technician is doing their work or you know our cardio perfusionists all that specialized equipment and then the equipment in healthcare it is all repaired and maintained by NAEP members as well so chances are, if you've had any um, dealings with the healthcare system at all, you've your life has been touched at some point by a member of your union. And that's absolutely what this is highlighting. No matter what you require, if it's as simple as having a blood test done, uh, that person likely drawing your blood is likely a person from NAEP. If you're registered for a clinic, uh, the clerical work that's there, you talk to a dietitian. So every aspect of healthcare, whether community-based, long-term care, acute care, uh, there is a NAEP member that's involved in your care in some way, shape, or form. And I've always said healthcare is like a chain, and every link in that chain is important, uh, again, from those that make sure that the environment is kept safe, like our environmental support staff, and then, of course, dietary needs or, invo- or dietary staff. So it's a, it's a complex chain, and every piece of that healthcare system is absolutely essential. So how are we doing in terms of uh, staffing levels? I know there's uh, been a lot of talk about recruitment and retention. What about some of these critical roles being played that may not be at those front lines that people may not see face-to-face? Absolutely, and unless you're touched by some of these areas, like we face challenges, for example, in lab and x-ray when it comes to uh, been an- analyzing tests. We notice in some of the parts of the province we have a shortage of people that do that, uh, and in some cases we people don't realize those tests actually getting sent out of province because we have insufficient staff. Uh, most often, like I say, unless you're on the very front line, uh, if you're lying in a hospital bed, then you get to see some of the professionals, but in many instances you don't, again, uh, unless, unfortunately, you're dealing with uh, situations like cancer care when you go into there like we've heard we've talked about the shortage for example of radiation therapists and the impact on people in Newfoundland Labrador when we have a shortage and the same is across a number of areas like there's beds that remain vacant in Newfoundland Labrador because we don't have enough of personal 
care attendants or licensed practical nurses, for example, uh, response times get delayed when we don't have enough of paramedics with our advanced PCP or EMRs in the province. So every time we have an area where there is a shortage or a retention issue, it can potentially impact the delivery of care in the province, like from delayed tests, uh, delayed getting into a hospital. Uh, so as a significant impact, and people don't realize every one of these links in that chain uh, is critically important. Uh, for somebody with diabetes, for example, nothing more important than being able to deal with the dietitian, where most people would not realize the importance of that. Mental health issues, for example, or behavior men spe specialists or psychologists, which, again, most wouldn't realize the delays there are often caused around retention recruitment problems. So ultimately, what's the goal of these kinds of ad campaigns? It, it, it's public awareness, obviously, but is there a message there for government ultimately? There's a message you're basically saying that every person in healthcare plays a vital role. Sometimes we focus specifically on certain areas, but it's just to demonstrate that every person, and this is a positive campaign that highlights uh, every person that goes to work in healthcare values the work that they do. Uh, they make a valued contribution to our healthcare system. So it shows that we have to focus on every link in that chain when we're dealing with healthcare, because every link impacts the, the chain itself. So it's Again, just that, demonstrating, number one, the value of all these workers with the healthcare system, what they contribute each and every day to Newfoundland Labrador, uh, and how one heavily relies upon the other. Jerry Earl, appreciate your time. Thank you. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much. That is NAEP President Jerry Earl about their new ad campaign. Well, coming up, the Newfoundland and Labrador Growlers make some interesting changes ahead of the official start of the hockey season. This is News Talk on VOCN. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And we're back. Uh, all ready for the hockey season? Well, the Newfoundland Growlers introduced their fourth head coach in franchise history earlier this morning. Former NHLer and Stanley Cup champion Matt Cook is only a few days into his first professional coaching gig, but he's excited for the opportunity and the challenge ahead. He spoke with reporters outside the Growlers dressing room at Mary Brown Centre, and he touched on how his Stanley Cup win with the Pittsburgh Penguins back in 2009 will affect his coaching style. I hope I'm not here one and done. I mean, I have two year, I have a two year contract, uh, and so you know, f at least for the next couple of years we're here. So, um, but you know, I've been here two days uh, and excited to for the path and to move forward. So, uh, can't wait to get players in here and get started. Can you talk about your first impressions of the organization in St. John's in those first couple of days? Yeah, I mean, whirlwind yesterday, you know, but. First and foremost, like the facility and the organization, first class on how they handle things, how they've brought me in here. You know, little things matter, but you know, you I walk in. I was hi I was hired three days ago or four days ago now. I'm trying to think back. So, but like all my name tags are up, and the office was set up with stuff for me. And you know, from that standpoint, made me really feel like home as when I walked in the door. And that only just leads to my ability to cannonball into the situation and dive right in and, and lead the way. Well, so my goal here is to win in three ways, truly. And that is to win in the community, 
uh, to win in development and to win in games. And um, Brian Burke years ago instilled in me um, an energy, a passion, and a desire to to be engaged in the community. And I think my wife and I have done a great job over the years of really doing that. We started our own foundation. Um, I w I've been, you know, the the spokesperson for Ronald McDonald House in the past. Um, I've won community awards um, throughout my career and uh, something that I'm very passionate about and I thank Brian Burke for that, uh, for instilling that into me. But it's something that I believe as you know, the leader, I can't push from behind, I gotta get out in front and pull. And uh, I, my wife and I fully expect to ingrain ourselves fully in the community and um, really give uh, the players a voice um, because each one of them has their own story um, and I know that it being a development league rosters change and fans can get frustrated with that because it's not the same faces year after year but I truly believe that there's an opportunity um, for each one of our players to, to tell their story to get out there and get and allow the community to get them to know them on a different level than a guy with skates and a helmet on so you're one Stanley Cup in 2009. What do you think you can take from that experience and bring here? Probably the biggest thing from that year for me was overcoming adversity. Um, we were in 10th in January, and we went through a coaching change. And minor changes, like, you know, just proof of how close you really are. Minor, minor tweaks by Dan Bausma freed us up to be successful and uh, I'm still close with every guy on that team I mean you you make a, you make a bond and a connection and if I look back that is the closest team that I was ever a part of from a relationship standpoint and there's no guessing why we were successful um, and so I hope to bring as much as the challenge and you go through a lot more players here because of opportunities for guys to go up and get a chance at the next level. Um, I hope to build that culture within the room of, you know, uh, togetherness and uh, embracing the battle together. So that is Matt Cook, a newly hired as the uh, head coach for the Newfoundland Growlers, former NHL or Stanley Cup champion with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And of course, uh, he had a reputation for uh, being a bit of an enforcer on the ice, uh, but he's indicating that his coaching style will is nothing like his uh, playing style. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that in the season ahead. Well, uh the Growlers also showed off their newest hire, Bonavista native and former NHL player Adam Party, who also played for the Growlers in their inaugural Kelly Cup winning season. Here's some of what he had to say today. Later, last few years of my career, I think, you know, you kind of naturally adopt the role of helping out young, younger guys coming in. Um, that's because what I had when I was first couple of years, uh, you know, the older guys really took you under the wing and, and you know, just taught you and I learned more about life away from the rink uh, from those older guys. So I think that was probably something I tried to help out younger kids with. Um, and, and, you know, you look at the way the game is going now and some of these kids and, and you know, life has really changed for everybody, for, especially for these young hockey players coming in, um, you know, with social media and the attention and uh, kind of the microscope uh, that they're under. Um, so naturally you kind of just, 
you know feel like you know you have experience and you can help and uh, I think it's 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 more helpful I think it goes both ways too right like it's it's this is going to be good for me as much as it's you know as much as I can help kids this is going to be also a really good thing for me uh, to be able to do this uh, you know for my own mental mental strength were you doing any coaching locally between your stint here with the and then now I did a little bit with with the East Coast Blizzard uh, briefly, only a few games uh, last season. Yeah, yeah. How much work do you and uh, Matt have to do now to get this team ready to hit the ice? It's a very good question. Uh, there's going to be an endless amount of work. Uh, you know, you look at the schedule, and we're you know next Friday, so there's going to be a lot of work to get up to speed. Um, nothing we can't handle but there's going to be a lot of things you know first thing is about getting our lineup uh, shored up and uh, make sure guys know um, a system and not overload them too much that way but um, you know there's a lot of work to get to get done here in the next couple of weeks and um, you know we'll, we'll get ready for it and we'll take things as they come get through that first weekend and uh, and keep moving on a lot of toughness behind the Newfoundland Growlers bench and this team has often been one of speed and skill but like Coach Cook said, the game has changed a lot over the last number of years from both of your playing days. So how do you kind of take that that toughness that fans know you both for and bring that to the Newfoundland Growlers, but still, you know, adapting with where the game is at today? Yeah, it does. <laughs> It is. You're right. Because t- toughness nowadays is 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 a lot different than when we play. Like it's not just about fighting. You know, team toughness. I think now is, is more related to just being on the body and and everybody kind of doing their part. You know, just finishing hits. Um, you know, the game has changed and where it's it's transitional. It's structural. Um, it, it's a lot of the you see on video can look the same uh, a lot of the times, and so I think when you when you try to pick a team apart you know team toughness is just going to be about playing together playing as a unit of five and you know taking away time and space and you know we got some big bodies coming in so um, you know we're going to expect them to you know be physical and be a hard team to play against you know I look at my career some of the hardest games I played were against those big teams that were just finishing every hit you know it wasn't a crushing hit every time but you knew that when you got the puck you only had a split second with the puck because you were going to get hit Vice versa, when you played against the teams that didn't finish hits, you know, we felt a little easier. You had that little extra split second. You could absorb the hit and make the play, and that's a big difference in hockey is that, you know, if you're able to make the clean play, get out of the zone quickly, or, you know, if you're getting you're up against the glass, you feel like the mountain's coming down on you wave after wave, then it's going to be a tough night, and I think that's what we want is we want to be a tough team to play against. Um, I don't know. I don't want to reflect too much on last year, but you know, you, you, against Florida, maybe they were more physical, and you know, you can see the result there. We don't want that to happen. We, you know, we want to be tough. We want to be hard to play against uh, on all areas of the ice, especially in our D zone. So that's Bonavista native Adam Party, the new Newfoundland Growlers player development coach, speaking with reporters earlier today. And you can hear uh, Ben Murphy asking questions there as well. And uh, you'll hear more on that uh, tomorrow morning on the VOCM Morning Show, your VOCM Mornings. Um, well, say it ain't so, Claudette, but a new study in the journal Nature says climate change could soon make beer... And that's the world's most popular alcoholic drink, in case you weren't already aware. Much more bitter. 
Researchers say higher temperatures and drought in regions of Europe where the best hops for beer are grown are altering the quality of the hops, which in turn is having an effect on the flavor. Farmers are combating that by mixing hops for the best results, but that process is expensive, tedious, and not sustainable. So if you like to quench your dry lips with a bit of beer, expect it to go down a little more (laughs) bitterly, sourly. Yeah. And now your husbands or significant others are certainly paying attention to climate change now. (laughs) It's kind of the Homer Simpson kind of (laughs) response, you know. What? Hmm? Beer? (laughs) Uh, Now you got my attention. Anyway, uh, yeah. That's the sad truth, according to the journal Nature. Nothing to do with me. I didn't say nothing. Anyway, uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Noah Shepard standing uh, on the sidelines now, waiting to give you all the news of the day in the uh, Day in Review at 5 o'clock. Stay tuned for that. In the meantime, we'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Bye-bye for now.